If it were me, I would want to know when will I be cut off from signing any kind of legal documents? When will my decision-making be made obsolete because of a diagnosis? Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and an international presenter on how to respond to dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might hopefully share a laugh or two because we all know laughter is the best medicine. Yes, it is. And don't forget the wine, Mike. No, no, no. I won't (laughs) forget the wine. I do appreciate that. So one thing that we haven't touched on a lot is that it's really, really important to recognize that dementias are not only affecting the elderly and the retired folks. Absolutely. The incidence of what they call young onset dementia is growing rapidly. And typically that means anybody under the age of 65, but we're now seeing dementias in people in their 40s and 50s. And that includes people who need to work every day. And so we have people with mild cognitive impairment in the workforce. And part of our outreach now is to speak to employers and figure out how we can keep these people in the workforce to the benefit of those families and also the employer. And that brings us to today's guest. She comes to us from Chicago and is a marketing and media consultant to senior housing, HR professionals, attorneys, financial planners, clergy, and other members of the fast-growing elder care industry. She is a wife, mom, grandmother, family caregiver, long-term care strategist, and Chicago Cubs fan. Please welcome Joy Laverde. I'm so glad you said the Chicago Cubs fan. So I, I'm going to be put to the test this summer or this spring. So, But I will always be a fan. So thank you, everybody, for having me. You know, we're so glad to have you, and especially to talk about this very important aspect of dementia care, which 10 years ago, and, and I've been in this for 20 years plus, wasn't even part of the conversation. I know it. Everybody, when they say the word dementia, say the word Alzheimer's, and everybody immediately goes to somebody 80 and over. But that is just so not the case. As you mentioned, people of working age are getting diagnosed with dementia and early set Alzheimer's. Now, that's a whole different ballgame. It certainly is, and their families are depending on them. I mean, there's there are very few homes these days where there's only one breadwinner, and they absolutely need to have these jobs, and the employers need to have employees. So figuring out how to work with them together is is going to be something very interesting to talk about today. Right. I'm so glad that we get to bring this to the table because people who are listening maybe worried about some coworkers that they noticed have not been fulfilling their responsibilities, let's say, or keeping, they, they say, oh, I'll get you that report by Tuesday. And then they say, oh my gosh, I forgot all about it. Um, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing that we have to keep our eyes open. Is it us or is it someone else? 
Either way, who's going to be brave enough to start talking about it in the workplace? And I understand that, you know, somebody who might have some inkling that is going on and might want some extra support in the workplace is hesitant to talk to their employer about it. With good reason, because the people who are running our companies don't have much experience with what this really means in the short term and the long term. And my guess is, is the first thing they do is they talk to HR and they say, does this person have to lose their job? Uh, and, and is HR, does HR know what to do? I mean, there's so many things that we have not learned yet. However, there have been some brave employers who have initiated, uh, there, there are some formal ways to address this. One of them is called the dementia-friendly workplace. In your travels and experience in dealing with the HR folks, are you finding that they are more in tune with the dementia and dementia care, not only from an employee standpoint, but also the, the employee having the diagnosis, but also a dementia caregiver being in their workforce. Are you seeing that they're more and more in tune with that? I would like to think so, Mike. Uh, my experience has been it's there's still a, a ceiling, glass ceiling going on regarding how much of this stuff we talk about at work. Right. And it will always depend on how much information has been supplied to the employee ahead of time. Because that's a, that's a key. It's like a, 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 a little notice that it's safe to talk about it. But if they don't hear anybody addressing it in HR or the EAP program, the Employee Assistance Program, typically nobody's talking about it. Now, we mentioned about the employee having the diagnosis. Um, And this may be a little unfair question for you, um, but are there any job protections by the Americans with Disabilities Act for those individuals with the early diagnosis of early onset? I spoke with a professional in this area and they said that there there are protections and that every employee, if they suspect that this is something they need to address, needs to do their homework first before they bring it up. Um, Professionals have told me that If a person is diagnosed with dementia, the first thing they need to do is talk to an elder law attorney and find out what their rights are. Interesting. And do those vary from state to state? Yes, they do. Now, I spoke a couple of years ago to the Loudoun County Senior Interest Network about getting support for caregivers in the workplace. And one of the things I sadly discovered was that um, when it comes to caregiver support through the state that Virginia was 48 out of 50 states. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's bad and getting worse. Uh, That's why we have to have these brave people out there to push against outdated policies. And we have to have some brave employers who are willing to investigate what does dementia caregiving and what do dementia Uh, the employees, what is this? Open up the can of worms 
have HR and EIP be of assistance, find out what is being done and what should be done. Uh, it's, it's so new for employers. It's, it's, it's just um, not something they like to think about and who blames them, right? Right. And then look at, the, look at how an employee might feel. Are they, you know, immediately going to fire me? And what if I am the breadwinner? How, do I, how does this work? Exactly. Now, what we had some conversation about this issue, and one of the persons that I spoke to said, where we're finding employees, employers to be open to this is when it's affecting their own families. It's funny you should say that, because 30 years ago, when I started talking about caregiving in the workplace, it was the managers who did say, okay, we need this. Why? Because they were caregiving age, and they were experiencing it with their own family. So now we're going to have the same thing o- over again. And it's going to repeat itself. History is going to do the same thing. So if, if, if they are willing to, to investigate, then whatever it takes is what I, <laughs> what I say, whatever it takes. Right. The, the sad part about it is, is look how long it's taken us to turn corners on other items like pregnancies or having just had a baby with the lactation uh, rooms, the drug assistance or the alcohol assistance and so on, that hopefully this won't take that long to make its way into the commonality, if you will. I think dementia is growing a lot faster than women having babies in the workplace. So they're, well, they're, they're going to have to address it a lot quicker than, than they did that. As Joy said, it's growing so fast. Right. Which is why, you know, we do some outreach for lunch and learn programs in the workplace, encouraging employers to have um, on-site caregiver support groups, Mm -hmm. asking somebody who's in the workplace to take care of their home in the morning, to go to work, to come home and have to do what they do there and then do something else on top of that is adding another item to a list that's already overburdened. So if we can get them some assistance during the day, that'll make it easier for them and and be a benefit to the employer. Sure. I mean, everybody is uh, vying for the same amount of people. I mean, hiring people these days, we know what trouble they're going through. And so if they can be known to be aggressively assisting people with family responsibilities on both ends, child care and elder care, it's to their benefit. And if they really want to be brave, they'll talk about dementia in the workplace. <laughs> but wow, can you imagine? Get the big red S on their chest, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> One of the things with a early diagnosis of early onset, you know, Bobby has done many presentations on um, prepare to care and getting a care team in place. One of the, I hate to use the word blessing, but one of the benefits, if you will, air quotes, um, of the early diagnosis is that it allows you to make the important decisions that needs to be made for your care, Um, getting that care team in place. And I know that you've been a proponent of long-term care strategies, what can you share about long-term care for the dementia, the early onset, and um, preparing to care and the strategies? Here's a, 
here's the first thing I would do is um, I would I would find out from an attorney when, if it were me, I would want to know when will I be cut off from signing any kind of legal agreements, legal documents. When will my decision-making be made obsolete because of a diagnosis? All right. So now if we have early onset and we are diagnosed with that, what does that mean in terms of putting my wishes in writing and having them validated by the signature that I have right now, which, which speaks volumes about the need to create legal documents before any kind of diagnosis of anything, right? So, so now when we talk about long-term care, ideally we have defined it before any of our uh, mental capabilities are, are not intact. We, we have to take it as far as we can, as fast as we can in order to put our thoughts in writing. Long-term care is anybody's guess at this point, especially with the caregiver shortage, especially with many people not having long-term care insurance or really restricted finances. So what we're talking about, Mike and Bobby, is the need to do it now anyway. Right. Well, we're all fine until we're not. And that could happen in the, in an instant. And it doesn't have to be dementia. That's right. We have a son-in-law who had a very tragic car versus bike accident with a brain injury and multiple broken bones. Um, this is a man whose career is huge. Um, he's very high up in the organization. He's got a young family. He definitely should be taking these steps right now. Absolutely, absolutely, and and everyone, everyone should. <laughs> I mean, we talk about what happened to Superman, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> so long term care, it's real interesting because remember we used to be able to say what that looked like could have been like, well, you stay home and then you're going to go over here and you're going to go over here or maybe somebody will come in, but COVID changed all that. We, we, we can't find a caregiver if life depended on it right now. So what the heck is long-term care these days? And over time, as, as you already mentioned, this is growing so fast. Mm-hmm. Even those places that exist now are going to become overwhelmed and there's not going to be enough beds and they're going to be far too expensive for too many people. And so many are ending, going to end up doing this at home. Yes. And they're, they're, they're not prepared. They don't understand it. They don't know how long it's going to be. They don't even know what it looks like. Like we did when we when we started, we brought Mike's dad in thinking, you know, we had this nice elderly gentleman who's going to join us in our house. And every now and then things would be a little difficult, but, but we had it. We, we walked into a brick wall, not knowing what we were doing. <laughs> An oncoming train. It's kind of, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's not necessarily bad because what would you have done <laughs> if you knew? Right. <laughs> because I am, um, my cup is always full and I like to talk about the, the possibilities of what's, you know, what we have available. I like to talk about the, um, the movement of the dementia friendly, uh, community and how these initiatives are starting up. Uh, If someone were interested 
in how to set one up. All they have to do is is Google dementia-friendly city, let's say, and then put the name of their city, and they will be surprised at the amount of resources that are available to them on a, a local and then an international basis. So what this means is much of the solution to how we're going to get through all this as a community, as people, is we're going to, we're going to create things that are probably, create systems of care that are probably not even in place yet, but we can be part of the intention of making it happen. Why not, right? If we don't do it, who else is going to do it? Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? There's so much support, but people don't know it. And and I say we're not a victim of of dementia in any way, shape, or form. There's an advocacy that we could jump on, and also there are so many solutions that other countries are already engaged in. That we just need to start doing our homework. Now, Mike and I worked with um, different dementia friendly America to help establish the first dementia friendly city in Virginia. Uh, before COVID. <laughs> um, and, we, you know, we talk about dementia-friendly, dementia-accessible, you know, and all of the places within the community where people with dementia need to feel welcome, whether it's in a restaurant or a clothing store or a doctor's office or a church, places like that. You know, it takes training. Uh, the, what about those dementia-friendly cities that have uh, they're training the sales clerks and the bus drivers and the and uh, the people at the grocery store. I mean, it it does exist, and um, I don't think any of us need to be sitting around waiting for someone else to look into it and to start making it happen. Um, much of my work is done in in groups of people who can get things, make things happen. I work with professionals for the most part. And they know the mayors, they know the, the, the councilmen, they know people who are policymakers within communities. And so a part of my advocacy is to encourage them and to nudge them into first do your homework and then see who you know who could get stuff done and let's just make it happen. It's, it takes somebody like me talking to a bunch of group groups of people to say, all right, we can do this, but it's going to take a whole village. And it it's a wonderful outcome when we do. You know, it's it's sad that there, to me, there appears to be a lack of patience with somebody with dementia, partially because it's not as visible as, say, somebody with Down syndrome mm -hmm. or somebody in a wheelchair, mm -hmm. where the patience is just overflowing and the helpfulness is overflowing. And it's not so visible. And you know, what what we're saying, what you're saying with the dementia friendly is it makes them aware. Yeah. Okay. So, Mike, I'm really glad that you brought this up because dementia is known as an invisible disease. I mean, it's relatively right. easy to meet somebody who has early onset dementia and you have no idea. Um, I've heard of stories of people leaving the restaurant before they... Uh, before they pay the bill, they just get up and go. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just instead of instead of arresting that person, they could have a very kind 
you know, excuse me, I don't know if you realized, you know, you, you follow them out the door. I don't know if you realized that you didn't pay your bill. And, um, you know, so they're like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. Right. Um, this takes training. A whole city of people who interact with the public should be trained in this. And I know there are initiatives that make this happen. And and like I said before, we advocates have to be the ones to let people know that training is available and nudge it to make it happen. Well, one of the things I see and one of the things I've been trying to advocate for here on the local level is the knowledge base for somebody with the uh, first responders. Yeah. And and them coming in, what happened with my dad was he went three doors down to the where the sheriff's car was in front of the house because we had a deputy living. But he was completely um, unaware and he was completely uninterested in the fact that my dad was in crisis. Mm. So I've taken that on to look at the local first responders to, to um, have training and knowledge base. And people who are listening should know that if they are interested in this, that all they have to do is Google dementia-friendly city and then name their city. That's all they have to do. And an enormous amount of resources will show up. It's so important. Um, so many people are not going to be able to live anywhere but their own homes. How are we going to support them, especially the people who are solo agers? How, how is this going to work unless we begin now to, to bring it, get it out of the closet, bring, it, bring light to it, and begin the process of talking about aging solo with dementia People who have no one, there are answers, but it requires advocates like us to continuously let people know the resources are there, just use them. Yes, yeah, there is a growing, again, a population of what is sometimes called um, older orphans. They have nobody. They don't have children. They don't have a spouse. They don't have family. And... Even through normal aging, you know there's going to come a time when we need care. It's going to happen to all of us, mm -hmm. whether we get a dementia or not, right. that we're going to need assistance and we're going to need care. Now, Joy, you have mentioned a couple of times that you work with professionals who can guide you to uh, the movers and shakers. Where do you start? The professionals need to be on podcasts like this. They need to... Um, not be afraid to go forward and and start the uh, initiative to to be a proactive professional in all areas of aging. You see, half the problem, Bobby, isn't that uh, there is there are no resources. There are tons of resources. The problem is is how interested are you? Right. <laughs> How are you how are you going to begin this process when no one else around you really wants to touch it? And so where you start is making a commitment to change it, to change this. And you go forward. You can't go wrong. 
soon as you make that commitment to be a part of the solution, doors will open up to you and people like you and Mike are going to be there and answer questions. This is where I, I love to talk about the process of critical thinking and aging and putting those two together. And the magic happens when we go outside our comfort zone and we start talking to people who can give us totally different viewpoints of, of some of the answers that uh, have never been thought of. And so possibly critical thinking, that you, in integrating the process of critical thinking and like, what, what don't I know? And who could give me answers outside of the box? And maybe I can go to them and say, what should I be asking you? What do you think about aging and dementia and all these things as it relates to the community? And get the dialogues going. I love that. That's wonderful. We know we we know we call it hive mind now or hive brain, where you get people together and you know there's all this buzzing going on and and creative problem solving is which I called caregiving and, and, and when I did it, creative problem solving on the run. But you know we see that on a smaller scale within our caregiver support groups, where you have a group of people who are caregivers with somebody with dementia and somebody mentions they're having an issue and then the others pop in and say, well, have you tried that? Or this is what worked for me and this is what didn't work for me. So yes, on a much smaller level, we're seeing that. We just need to reach out and expand that. Yeah, somebody said, I mean, I keep saying it, but it requires us to be willing to, to be brave and to open up the can of worms on a regular basis. I mean, you know, the three of us are used to talking about anything related to aging and we, 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 we are, we observe it like a sponge. But when you get in certain other groups, they're like, no, I don't want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. They're almost like uh, they're going to catch cooties if they talk about it. Right. <laughs> oh, did I, I just it. date myself? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, one one of the natural places to start is is with this early onset. That's what I'm so I'm mo most encouraged by because once you get an early onset um, diagnosis, you we we all know people who are doing amazing things who have been diagnosed. Absolutely, they're writing they're writing books. They're giving keynotes. They're they're becoming advisors to the Alzheimer's Association. They are making their their. Uh, their needs be known. They're changing the language and the myths of Alzheimer's. Boy, we need, we, we can't have enough of those people and they are doing a great job to change all this. We've actually had a number of guests who have had the diagnosis and um, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to remember them all, but Louis Body diagnosis, um, early onset. FTD. FTD. So we've had probably six or seven different people living with the different dementias on the show. And we see exactly what you're saying. They're out there putting the word out, just just not being afraid uh, and, and living life. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the early onset isn't, um, isn't a prescription to stop living, I think I read on, on, 
a website somewhere like yours. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think I just, just say something like that. They're, they're, yes. they're, yes. they're advocates and um, they are yeah. advocates. They are helping us change the language. And um, they're also, I would like to see more of them uh, get in touch with marketing companies and uh, people who portray people who ha are living with the symptoms of dementia and set them straight. That would be good. The more that we can encourage that, yeah. the better off yeah. everybody is going to be. You have taught us and our listeners yes. so much today and giving us a great deal to think about as well. And I think one of the most important things that you said, at least to me, was early on that as soon as you get that diagnosis of early onset, first step is to talk to an elder care attorney. That prior to talking to HR or the company, oh, yeah. that thought never occurred to me. And I think Good. that is the biggest takeaway Good. from our discussion as far as I'm concerned. Great. And be brave and open up that can of worms. And again, talking about the elder care attorney and knowing the laws in your individual state, what comes up often, and we didn't touch on this, was driving when you have a diagnosis of dementia. And depending on what where you are, um, you want to make sure that you know what the laws in your local area are, because in some places, the caregiver can be held responsible for an accident if they knew somebody with dementia was driving. But we have doctors who say, just drive in your local community. If you're familiar with the area, that's okay. And that may not be the case, but, and, and again, we've had elder care attorneys on the podcast as well. Um, Joy, talking about the dementia-friendly workplace, talking about early onset and how it's growing and we need to address it. You have been invaluable to us and to our listeners today. And can't thank you enough. You've been an absolute joy Thank to you. have on this show. You see what I did there? <laughs> Thank you. <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you guys and you know it. And um, and I am so proud that you see that you two are an example of saying, I we're gonna do this. And I remember, and Bobby, I mentioned this to you when we said you said we're gonna have a podcast. This was three years ago for at the first conference that I met you at. And you and I said, yes, you are. And here you are. And it is in your walk in your talk. And that's what people have to understand. Nobody is going to take better care of us than we are. If we want something, we got to go get it. And if we got to take a bunch of people with us, that's the way to do it. And you're an example of that. So thank you. Thank you for all you do. And, you know, when, when you do something like that in service to others, it comes back to you tenfold. Yes, it does. And it does. we would not have met the wonderful people like yourself, although we knew you before, and so many on our podcast, if we did not do that. You can find out more about Joy, links to her website and her books on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That, and I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger Matt Facebook page. To find out more about us, 
head over to rogerthat.show. That's roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. <laughs>